This is Channel 253. The Citizen Tacoma podcast is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Candice Rood, and I fly Alaska. To book your next flight, go to alaskaair.com. I'm Candice. I'm Doug. And we are the Citizen Tacoma podcast, informing an empowered electorate. I thought we were empowering an informed electorate. In In the the city city of destiny. Hi, Candace. So on today's show, we had former Tacoma mayor, Marilyn Strickland. Uh, For the last year, she's been the president of the Seattle Chamber of Commerce. So we brought her back in to get her thoughts about what's been going on in Tacoma. And she was the first guest ever on Citizen Tacoma podcast. So we're really happy she came back. Also, in our interview with Marilyn, we spoke a lot about homelessness in our region Tacoma City Council recently voted to extend its emergency declaration on homelessness and will also vote Tuesday to continue its ban on public camping for another year. We'll share some relevant links to all that in the show notes. I like that she used the term budget dust. (laughs) Yeah, she's quite the wordsmith. (laughs) Listen in. Well, hi, Marilyn. Uh, Thank you so much for coming in to talk to us today. Uh, It's my first podcast or first podcast as the host of Citizen Tacoma. Very excited to be here and really grateful that you came on as a guest again. Well, thank you. I'm very glad to be here again. Yeah. So for those who maybe haven't been following up with the news in the last year, uh, Marilyn was the mayor of Tacoma from what years? From 2010 to 2017. So I served two terms, which is eight years, and we have term limits in Tacoma. Mm -hmm. And you were also a council member before that. Right, for two years. Mm -hmm. And uh, for the last year, you've been doing what? So since February of 2018, I have been the president and CEO of the Seattle Metropolitan Chamber of Commerce. And we represent 2,400 employers. And it includes everyone from your local neighborhood restaurant to some of the largest companies with a giant global footprint. That's awesome. It's exciting. It is exciting. Yeah. So uh, last time we talked... I did. We had no idea where you are. I had no idea where you were headed. Right. You were kind of not sure about what your future might hold. So right. that's a huge position. It is. Uh, what has the last year working in Seattle been like? So I live in Tacoma still, so I did not get a place up there yet. And as a commuter, I really have a deep appreciation for the importance of mass transit. So um, depending on my schedule, I will ride the bus up to Seattle to get to work and then usually take the Sounder home. And I do that about three or four times a week. And, you know, it's interesting because when you look at the region in which we live, and that's everything from Snohomish County down here to Pierce County, we need to be connected to each other. And because downtown Seattle tends to be the higher wage job center, a lot of people are coming into downtown Seattle every day. And so I would say a few things. Number one, I-5 needs transit-only lanes. Mm. Number two, there's no such thing as investing in too much mass transit. And number three, like it or not, this region is growing, and that is not going to abate anytime soon. Mm-hmm. And I guess with light rail not coming down here till 2030, it's going to hurt for a while. It'll hurt for a while, but I think sometimes people forget that, you know, we have a commuter train. Mm-hmm. We have express bus service. And so we do have, you know, alternate modes of transportation that give you, cho- give you choices instead of having to drive, but at the same time, 
time, you know, adding light rail to that mix will only enhance the user experience. If Tacoma got another foot ferry to Seattle, would you take it? You know, I I would have to try it for sure. <laughs> I know that, you know, when we were when I was on the board of Pierce Transit, we had started having that discussion. And from what I understand, there's a feasibility study taking place. Mm-hmm. In the meantime, you hear about Kitsap Transit doing foot ferries. And, you know, my philosophy is any mode that works for someone. So the more options people have, the better for all of us. Right on. Uh, so as president of the Seattle Chamber for the last year, you had a major early victory with the defeat of the head tax. Uh, tell us about that and what you learned from it. Well, you know, it's really interesting. When I did an interview with one of the TV stations up in Seattle, they said, oh, congratulations, you have a victory. And I said yes and no, because I'm not doing a victory lap because we still have a serious homelessness problem here in the region. At the same time, though, there was a policy that was proposed, which with good intention was really a bad idea. And even some of the most progressive Democrats in Seattle knew it was a bad idea. So we were able to defeat the head tax. And really, you know, it was a Seattle City Council who enacted it, and then they voted to repeal it. And so, you know, Yikes. I think that they, under, they, they, they understood <laughs> even that it, was, that it wasn't an ideal situation. And, and I think rea- in reality, you know, it was something that would have built housing over a five-year period, but not really getting at some of the structural issues that cause homelessness. And that includes mental health services. It includes having a variety of different services for people, depending on how they got there, and really understanding that the homeless population can pretty much be divided into three different segments. Now, every person's experience is different, but you have families and children who tend to be homeless for a very brief period of time, and they're very motivated to want to get housed. You have youth, and then you have people who we see on the street who are known as the chronically homeless. And these are the folks who typically have some of the most profound challenges. They've been homeless for a long time. And they're the folks who you see engaging in behavior that most of us would consider antisocial on the streets. And so it's really trying to figure out how we help those who can be helped, you know, in in, in the most in the most expeditious way, but then also understanding that helping people who are chronically homeless is a very long-term effort. Right. And I guess that's, I want to talk about homelessness a little later too, yeah. but it's something we're seeing both across the region. Across the country, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And have you seen any, has there been anything that surprised you as you've kind of been more up close and personal with the Seattle homeless population compared to Tacoma? Yeah. I mean, you know, there, there, there appear to be more homeless people in Seattle, and that makes sense because the population is larger. Mm-hmm. And because I'm right downtown, you know, when I go from my office to the Sounder Station, I encounter a lot of people who are sleeping on the ground, sleeping in tents, and engaging in behavior that we wouldn't exactly consider socially acceptable. Mm-hmm. And so I think the question becomes, you know, is there a difference between a street population and people who are, in fact, homeless? Because sometimes we tend to blend the two, and they're not. And then also, too, just really having to understand that this is going to be something that takes a lot of effort from a lot of different organizations, including both city, county, and state resources. Right. Definitely. Um, So kind of going back to the uh, head tax, I want to talk about homelessness more, as I said, but back to the head tax. uh, (laughs) Pierce County, right after the head tax debacle, uh, decided it was going to go forth with a $275 head credit. Uh, They had a big press conference, made a video. Uh, What do you think that's going to achieve, if anything, and do you wish that had happened while you were mayor? 
So um, number one, it didn't need to happen when I was mayor because Tacoma already has had for a long time a suite of incentives for people locating jobs here. So I think that probably up to $1,000 worth of credits, whether it's creating family wage jobs and different incentives. And so the whole idea of having a press conference to announce something that was new probably was more Pierce County-centric than Mm -hmm. it was City of Tacoma-centric. The city has had incentives in place for a long time. As far as the effect that it had, it'll be interesting to see in the long term because as I say to folks often, economic development isn't just about relocation of companies when a lease is expired or trying to woo someone from another city. Economic development is often rooted in growing your own here at home. And I come back to the fact that these companies we know, such as Boeing, Microsoft, Nordstrom, Amazon, Expedia, those are all local homegrown companies. And so the economic development ecosystem has to have room for both. Some companies definitely are looking at cost of doing business. But, you know, if you look at what's happening in the 21st century, it's a fight for talent. And so the question is always going to be, do we have people who are trained and educated who can do the work at all income levels and all skill levels? Because those are the cities and regions that are going to win the, the, the race for jobs. Do we have that here in Tacoma? I would ready? say we do. And, and here's why I say that. Number one, we're part of the metropolitan Seattle region already. And so it's interesting because, you know, Bellevue and Seattle are clearly closer in proximity to each other. Tacoma and Seattle, not so much. And when you have 90 minutes of soul-crushing traffic, it can feel like it is, you know, in California. Mm -hmm. And so I think the transportation issue is so important. But Tacoma clearly has a talent pool in in Pierce County. And the the, the argument I use for that is if there are tens of thousands of people commuting to Seattle every day, clearly there's talent here. And so I think it's a conversation about the regional economic development ecosystem, understanding that Seattle is this magnificent center, but there are surrounding cities that have just as much to offer. And how do we think of ourselves regionally as opposed to being provincial and holding on to municipal borders? Right. That's a very good question. Um, So now that you've worked in in Seattle for almost a year, uh, what parallels do you see between it and Tacoma? You know, I would say that overall, Tacoma and Seattle are siblings in the same family. And You know, Seattle definitely is, I'd say, more urban, more crowded, more densely populated. And with that comes some really great things and some downsides. But, you know, I ran into someone a few months ago at a restaurant, and he said, oh, how's it going up in Seattle? And he's like, he's like, you know, what do you think of everything? And I said, Tacoma has nothing to apologize for. This is an amazing city. The scale is comfortable. And sometimes you hear people lamenting the fact that we're not growing fast enough or don't have what Seattle has or what so-and-so has. And I tell people, you know what, Tacoma is just right, and it's growing at the pace it should grow. And as people start to discover the city and Tacoma does a better job of talking about its assets, such as a school system that's great, great parks, you know, just a recent passage of an arts levy to Mm -hmm. try and really inject more resources into the arts. There's a lot to be proud of in this city, and Tacoma is just lovable as it is. <laughs> it's like our, our mayor, everyone's so proud, went off and ran in the big city. Now uh, she's the president of the Chamber of Commerce. But I am preaching the gospel of regionalism. And so even when I'm in Seattle speaking at events, I am always repping for my city. <laughs> That's good to hear. Um, so let's see. Uh, how has your 
I guess, appreciation for Tacoma changed since working in Seattle? Um, I would say I appreciate it more than ever. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, when you spend too much time in in a bubble or, you know, gazing at your navel, you, for, you, you, you forget what's out there. And sometimes you just have to go away for a while. And you know, I go away for a while. Like, I'm, I'm up in Seattle. I'm up the street, right? <laughs> but, you know, but, but, it, but it gives you context and perspective. You know, and I would say this, too. You know, sometimes people lament what it's like to be in Tacoma or they say things about the city. And, I, and you know, when I was mayor, I had a chance to travel around a, to a lot of cities around the country. And, again, perspective just gives you a really good appreciation. This is a this is really a very, very special place. And it's special because the people are special. It's special because of our physical surroundings. And there's an ability, I would say, in Tacoma because we often come together around important things to really get things done. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the comparison is the Seattle process, the never-ending Seattle process Mm -hmm. where they have to just, you know, stakeholder and do just just – it take a really, really long time to get to a decision. And, of course, you want to be inclusive, but Tacoma just has a talent for getting things done very quickly, and we mobilize really well. And so I would say that's one of Tacoma's assets. We're large enough to be a big city. We're large enough to be urban, but we're agile enough to get together when it really matters. Right. I, yeah, I think a really good example of that is the recent uh, tenants' rights uh, ordinance that was passed, which mm-hmm. is a huge sweeping, uh, I guess, set of rights for tenants that really Im- empowers them. Right. And what do you, yeah, is that an example of that? What do, what do you think about yeah, that? Yeah, no, I mean, I would say that's a great example of it. I know that there was, you know, I, I'm not deeply, in, I'm, I'm not deeply knowledgeable about the entire thing, but I understand that there were some tenants who were living in housing that was substandard. Mm-hmm. And because it was so substandard, that's why it was affordable. And an owner came in and decided they wanted to upgrade, but they were going to evict the tenants with very short notice. And so mm-hmm. the tenants got together, worked with the city council, and they came up with some legislation to protect tenants' rights while understanding that even if someone does want to buy property, they at least have to have enough time and resources to say they can stay securely housed. And you will see examples of this happening in the entire region and around the country. It's, you know, again, I've often said, Candace, that a neighborhood should not be considered affordable because people think it's run down and dangerous and lack services. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, on the one hand, you're glad to see that something that was substandard is being improved, but kicking people out when that was the only recourse they had doesn't exactly seem humane. And so how do we find a way to, number one, add more housing stock into our region? Yes. And number two, you know, allow developers who want to upgrade properties to, to do that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So uh, now that you've been off the city council, the Tacoma <laughs> City Council for about a year, uh, is it, what do you think? I mean, how are they doing? Well, I have to confess that um, I don't spend as much time paying attention to city government as I used to. But but I'll tell you why. Shocking. No, no, it's shocking. But it but it but it really you know it really helps you understand that when you are elected official and you're kind of what I call deep inside the political bubble, you think that every other person pays as much attention to every detail as you do, and you realize no, people have lives. Mm-hmm. They go to work. They take care of their kids. They take care of their parents. They, they have a lot of responsibility. And so you know, overall, I think the council's doing well. Um, this is their first year together, and it will probably take between 18 to 24 months because before they really start to gel. I know elections are coming up in 2019, so mm-hmm. there will be some some changes of personalities. But overall, I think they're doing well. You know, what's, what's really exciting is that every time another group of people take office, they get to build upon what happened before they got there. And some of them had a hand on it. And so you would hope that with each successive election cycle, people just keep building upon momentum and you continue to do things that will help enhance the city and the quality of life for people. All right. All right. So one of your uh, – the last big projects you were working on mm-hmm. as mayor was the uh, city's 
three-phased approach, which we're still in, um, to mitigating the human suffering and right. also the effects of homelessness on residents and businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to talk about that a little bit to refresh people's memories? or? Yeah, so um, back, gosh, it's probably over, it's been a while, so maybe in May of 2017, there was this large encampment, and it had really turned into what we would describe as a public health crisis. And so we did not make a declaration of homelessness as an emergency. We called it a public health emergency. And by making that declaration, it gave us the ability to waive some rules that allowed us to go in quickly. And we, you know, what we did was we um, basically mitigated the site that was there already. Mm -hmm. And when I say public health crisis, I'm talking talking about filth and trash and rodents. And, and and to be honest with you, there were people down there using illegal drugs. Um, there were some things happening down there that were, were very related to crime and even prostitution. And mm-hmm. so we went in there to try to stabilize the site deal with people who were breaking the law, and then also say to the folks, we're bringing you clean water. We're going to give the opportunity to have you know, bathrooms, porta potties, mm-hmm. and in 60 days, we're going to move you to another site halfway, you know, up half a mile down the road. Mm-hmm. And the purpose of that really was to number one, mitigate the human suffering, and to try to see what we could do to try to get people more securely housed. Now, you know, depending on who you ask, moving people from a filthy public health crisis to what we call the FEMA tent with tents inside of a tent isn't exactly humane. I would push back and say, oh, yes, it is, mm-hmm. because what we have now um, down on Puyallup Avenue includes showers, storage, social services on site, laundry facilities, there's security, and there's a waiting list to actually get into this service. The hard part of this was going to be phase three, and that's permanent supportive housing. And, you know, when you talk about permanent supportive housing, now it starts to become, number one, who's going to build it? And and another thing that really – that we never really discussed, Candace, was, and where do you cite it? Right. And, you know, people have said, well, we need more permanent housing. And then you say say to a neighborhood, we're going to put this permanent supportive housing with these eight residents on the end of your block. Oh, no, you're not. Yeah, what, right? <laughs> so so how are, going to, how are people going to respond to that? And so, yes, it's the ability to try to move people into housing. But what we lack, what we lack in the entire region, this isn't just a Tacoma thing or a Pierce County thing, is more permanent supportive housing. Mm-hmm. And for people who don't know what that means... It means housing where you recognize that some folks need 24-hour care. Some folks need someone to help them get dressed in the morning, to give them their meds, to make sure that they are properly fed, to make sure that they're doing all right, and they need supervision around the clock. And so it's really housing. Actually, I call it – Assisted living. It's just another form <laughs> right. of assisted living is what it is, really. And so how are we able to build, build that type of housing for – well, just to add that to our housing stock, where do you cite it? And then how do we have the resources to help pay for it? Right. Yeah. So that nut has still at this point hasn't been cracked. No, it, it has not. And again, this is not – that's not a Tacoma issue. It's not a Pierce County issue. This is something that is regional and national. Right. So I think about – I think the last I heard was about 60 people had been moved out of the right. stability site. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah, and moving out. I mean, you know, some people have moved out and they have – secured housing. Mm -hmm. Some folks got housing and they were right back on the street. And so every case is so different. And, you know, and and again, it comes back to the original statement I made about the homeless population. The people who generate the most service calls, Mm -hmm. the people who are the hardest and most expensive to serve are people who are chronically homeless. They didn't get there in a day or a year, and it's going to take a long time to really help them get up on their feet. And for some folks, they will simply need 24-hour care for the rest of their lives. And I think it's important that we recognize that you can't you can't lump this population in under one description because there's so many people under with so many different circumstances who end up there. Right. One thing I've thought about recently in relation to this is that we wouldn't know. Now we know what these people are facing and who right. they are. We didn't know that when they were just 
on street corners and right. living under bridges. We didn't really know the extent of their issues. And I remember hearing you talk about this when the stability site was first right. put up, that these people have a lot of barriers. They have a lot of issues. So it's mm-hmm. like we we know what that population is facing more now and uh, hopefully that will enable the city to wrap its arms around it a little more. Well, uh, enable it, you know, and I would say, too, that, you know, as a state, Washington ranks nearly at the bottom when it comes to per capita spending on mental health. And, you know, and this started back in the 80s when we started divesting from mental health and, you know, funding from the feds has not come to local government. And so what's ended up happening is this huge divestment at the federal and state level now makes the burden fall on local government. Local government does not have the resources to handle the profound needs for mental health. Mm-hmm. So even though the city of Tacoma passed the one-tenth of one percent mental health sales tax, which I think generates somewhere between three and a half or four million dollars a year, depending on the economy, that's that's good money, but it still is not enough. And so I think the question becomes, you know, what is the state going to do in this next session when it comes to addressing mental health mm-hmm. so they can try to inject more resources into the counties who will then inject it into the cities? And and I'll still come back to this. The Pierce County Council has yet to pass the one-tenth of one percent mental health sales tax. They have the councilmanic authority to do it, and they're leaving $10 million a year on the table. Ahem, ahem, ahem. <laughs> yeah, good point. Um, so... Do you do you still have the same beliefs about Tacoma's homelessness problem and crisis that you did when you left office? Has anything changed? No, I mean, I would say that, you know, in my it's really interesting in my role as um, at the chamber, you know, there are a lot of different efforts taking place in Seattle. I mean, there there was the effort that um, Dow Constantine and Jenny Durkin put together mm-hmm. called One Table trying to address this at a regional level. But I would say that in Seattle, there are probably a dozen tables. And so you have philanthropy doing things. You have some businesses doing things. And, you know... At first, I thought to myself, we all need to come together with a unified plan. It's like, maybe not. It's okay for people to care so much about this that they want to do something. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, you know, Starbucks is leading by example, and they're involved in an effort called No Child Sleeps Outside. And their goal is to eliminate children sleeping outside, and that's typically family homelessness. And so they work with an organization called Mary's Place, and they do a lot of work trying to, you know, shelter families. And so, you know, the corporate community actually is doing a lot, but how do we really make sure that as we house families and youth, and those are the folks who are the easiest to house, that we understand that housing the people who are the most visible, Mm -hmm. that's a long, hard slog, and it, it will require more than city resources alone to make that happen. Right, right, absolutely. And do you feel any differently about, uh, so in 2017, the city council, while you were mayor, mm-hmm. passed an ordinance that mm-hmm. made sleeping outside in public spaces in the city of Tacoma illegal. Do you mm-hmm. feel any differently about that? No ordinance. No, I don't. It was something that we did because we wanted to make sure that when our law enforcement agencies or people who are on our navigations teams are interacting with folks that, you know, we didn't want to normalize that behavior. And of course, the conversation is, well, then where do they go instead? Mm -hmm. And I think in Seattle, for example, when you see a lot of that happening, you know, the numbers are profound. And some people have said, well, you know, the, the stability site coupled with the laws that you put in place to not allow sleeping outside is your excuse to outlaw homelessness. And, you know, this idea of criminalizing homelessness is like no one wants to criminalize homelessness, but we have to look at how we can contain the situation and find ways to move people along the continuum. And the conversation is always, well, they have nowhere to go. We're trying to get them into the stability site. I believe the city council passed something where there were other stability sites that were going to happen around the city, but I don't, I don't, I haven't been keeping track to find out mm-hmm. if there are others. Yeah, I can't remember either, actually. I haven't been, I'm not a News Tribune reporter anymore, <laughs> so I'm not on top of it as much as I was back then right, either. <laughs> right, right, right. 
Um, we're going to take a short break. Yeah, and we will be back with former Tacoma Mayor Marilyn Strickland. Thank you, Candace. Thank you. This is Amanda Westbrook, host of the sister podcast, We Are Tacoma. How do you balance changing the world with paying bills? Thanks to a new program at Pacific Lutheran University, you may not have to. Let me tell you about the PLU Pledge. Here's the pledge PLU makes to new undergraduate students. If, after you graduate, you have a full-time job and you make less than $40,000 per year, PLU will help you make your student loan payments. Got that? If you want to pursue your passion in, let's say, music, or you want to fight to make the world a better place through nonprofit work, but your paycheck just isn't where it needs to be yet, PLU will step in and help. It's one way that PLU invests in its students, even after they've left the campus, and one of the many ways PLU works to be accessible and affordable for all students. Check out plu.edu slash PLU Pledge to learn more because student debt shouldn't stand in the way of following your passion. All right, we're back. So next, I wanted to ask you about Click. Uh, for folks who maybe are not from Tacoma, uh, Tacoma has a municipally owned uh, broadband and cable network that it's had for about 20 years. Yeah, built in 1999, I think. Right. And um, so... Uh, you were the champion of the, quote, all-in plan, which would have kept or made Click be a publicly owned and operated municipal cable voiceover <laughs> phone, I believe, right? Or right. Vo- voiceover internet right. and um, broadband service. Right. Um And the when you were still in office, uh, the plan was while that model got off the ground and while it gained market share – that um, Tacoma Power would spend between six and ten million dollars a year, since it's the kind of umbrella over Click, uh, paying to supplement it until it got its feet under it, basically. Right. Um, so recently, uh, a lawsuit has challenged that funding model, which the city kind of saw coming, I think. Right. Um, and now we're back to a potential public-private partnership. Right. So, so we've come full circle. So in 1999, Tacoma Power wanted to upgrade its system. And the ability to offer cable TV and Internet service was a byproduct of that. So they didn't say, let's build Click because they want to get into the cable TV and Internet business. Right. And you think about 1999, the Internet was a very newfangled thing. So that was kind of the minor part of the business. The big deal was we have cable TV from another provider aside from TCI because they've been treating us like crap. Mm. And so a lot of people were, you know, like love the idea of cable TV. As time has progressed, we now know that Internet is really the marquee product that Click can offer. And I think one thing that's really important in this distinction is that Right now, if you're an internet customer of Click, it's not branded under Click right. because Click is a wholesaler to two other companies. Advanced Stream and so, Rainier Connect. Exactly. <laughs> so you can be a Click customer, but you've never been branded that product. You right? might not even know. Exactly. <laughs> you might not even know or care. And so as we move forward and talked about a public-private partnership based on the assertion that Click was losing money, it's there was a proposal to do a public-private partnership. There was some consternation about it. We decided to look at what we call the all-in model, which would keep Click public, which was – and by the way, 
the partnership was always going to maintain public ownership. Mm -hmm. It was having a private operator who had the resources to invest in it and then try to try to be a retailer themselves. Mm -hmm. And so we said, let's go all in. Let's have Click become a retailer itself and see what happens. Lawsuits ensue. People are unhappy. And then here we are again looking at public-private partnership. Mm. Uh, I will say, though, that the amount in question, I think it's somewhere between 6 and $10 million a year from Tacoma Power, is something that Tacoma Power can easily afford. That's budget dust in their world. Mm. And even if you take the revenue-sharing model that they now have with their internet service providers that you named, that actually could possibly get them out of the red. And so I just still feel as though I'm a little frustrated watching this as a citizen because <laughs> there are some things that could be done. And, I'm, and I think the one question I will ask Candace, okay, let's just say that Tacoma Power and Click never said we want to become retailers ourselves and compete directly. What if we said we're going to invest $6 million a year to upgrade this system to 21st century standards so that our ISPs can sell it and do better? Would there be a lawsuit now? Excellent question. <laughs> Do you think there would? I doubt it. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so Wave Broadband was the initial company based in Kirkland right. a couple years ago that wanted to lease Click for 40 years. Mm -hmm. They're back in the picture as one of the potential partners right. that will be moving forward with – I would think a long-term lease. Mm -hmm. I would think if you're if a company's going to do it, they want a long-term right, lease. Right, sure. So what are your thoughts on that they're back? I mean, it's interesting. I mean, it's it's not a surprise. Mm -hmm. And I think since we've been on this long, dramatic journey, that whatever agreement takes place with the third party, whether it's a wave or whether someone else, you know, will continue to do, I think, what the original intent was, is to make sure that it's a smart investment, that the owners of Click, which, by the way, are the residents of the city of Tacoma, continue to benefit from the system. But again, you know, we've, we've switched from having cable TV as the marquee product mm -hmm. to internet as a marquee product. And just to give your listeners the listeners some context here, we basically built like a six-lane highway, and right now we're only using two of those lanes. And so how do we leverage this asset and really help it improve the lives of our residents, use it for economic development, and really make sure that you know we can benefit from this investment that we made? That investment was made in 1999. If we did it today, it would be so expensive. Mm -hmm. And so in many ways, Tacoma is lucky that it has this asset. What's the best way forward at this point where we are right now? I mean, from what I've read, the best thing to do is to form a public-private partnership and just figure out how we maintain ownership of it, but let a private sector partner make the investments and probably, you know, compete as a retailer. But I will say this, though. One thing that needs to happen, in my opinion, if there's a public-private partnership, is that it should be branded and marketed as Click Internet mm -hmm. because we didn't do that before. And I think because of that, there's a little bit of – there's a lack of brand awareness. Right. Yeah. Brand awareness is everything. It is. Yeah. Um, if So when there was kind of a debate about how Click should be funded in the future before this lawsuit, when you right. were still on the city council, mm -hmm. there was an option that was put forward by some Tacoma Public Utility Board members to have general government fund that initial, you know, 6 to $10 million or whatever right. it was that was needed. General government said, we can't do that. We right. don't have the money. I mean, do if you had a way back machine, would you have tried to get general government to make that? That was a non-starter for me mm -hmm. when I was mayor. And for a couple of reasons. Number one, Tacoma Power has the assets, ha has the revenue to do that. Number two, you know, the city of Tacoma in its general fund is not a tax-rich city. So mm -hmm. Tacoma does not have the same giant corporate tax base that other cities around, like well, like Seattle and Bellevue, for example. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when you're trying to focus on basic essential services, that was just something we couldn't give up. And so Tacoma Power, in my opinion, still 
has the ability to do that if they wanted to. And it could have been, you know, built into a budget, but they chose not to. But I think it's really hard. It's a tall order to ask the city of Tacoma with all the all of its needs that it has to pr- provide basic services for its residents to spend that money on click. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, moving on to another hot topic <laughs> right. during your last year of mayor, and okay. that continues today. Okay. Uh, so the Northwest Detention Center mm-hmm. was something that wasn't in from what I understand, really too much in the public eye until Donald Trump (laughs) came into office and started deporting and terrifying lots of immigrants. (laughs) Right. Um, So can you talk about how that was kind of ramping up during your last year of mayor, the the concern and and just anger over the sighting of the Northwest Detention Center? You know, it's really interesting because the Northwest Detention Center had been on the Tide Flats pretty unnoticed. And, you know, I don't even recall the vote when it happened on city council. And I think that, I mean, I I don't know. It was 2000. Yeah, it was, it was, yeah, it was a Mm -hmm. while ago. And so I don't recall ever reading in the paper or hearing about this controversial detention center that's happening. What I have seen, ironically enough, though, are folks who were on that council who voted for it now suddenly against it, which I think is pretty interesting. Um, With that said, you know, the immigration policies or lack thereof coming out of Washington, D.C. is really how we ended up here. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the Northwest Ascension Center, which is owned by Geo Group, which is a for-profit prison company. Mm-hmm. They do both immigration facilities and federal, federal prisons. They have a contract with the Department of Homeland Security. And so that's their client. And when you look at just, you know, immigration policy in general, I tell folks the best way to change immigration policy in America is to get a Congress that's going to have the ability to pass comprehensive immigration reform. I think the other question that has to happen, too, is that somehow during the presidential election and now during his what feels like an eternity presidency of Donald Trump, you know, just the rhetoric, the sentiment, the build the wall. I mean, just just, just some of this absurd anti-immigrant sentiment. And I think people often forget that I'm not going to jump the cliche and says, and grab a cliche and says, oh, we're a nation of immigrants, but immigrants contribute so much to our communities. And you hear these crazy assertions like they don't pay taxes. It's like, well, yeah, they do, because if you shop and go around doing things like most of us do, you do pay taxes. Even if you're a renter, you pay taxes because mm-hmm. you're pro- – anyway. So I think the the climate has changed so much and it just seems so hostile to people. And to be honest with you, it just seems hostile to black and brown people and people of color. And so you just compound that and it just really makes us ask ourselves like who have we become? I, I still say that, you know, people say, well, gosh, things have changed so much since Donald Trump became president. No, Donald Trump has emboldened a lot of people. They didn't just suddenly change their attitudes about things. They just feel way too comfortable expressing themselves. Yeah. And yeah, do I support your First Amendment right? Absolutely, I do. But I think, you know, it, you, you're really getting to see some of the deep divisions that exist, you know, in, for many people in the mind, in their in their own minds, and mm-hmm. if you you know if you pay attention to Twitter or just even on social media, the number of times you see these absurd stories of people calling the police on people of color, yes. you know, I'm permit have, Patty, permit and... Patty, barbecue Betty, I mean mm-hmm. whatever. I mean there there was a story where there was a woman who was drunk, and she is in a parking lot stomping around. She walks up to a woman who's an African American woman who's sitting in her car waiting for AAA. And she starts harassing her, asking her, what are you doing here? Do you live here? And then she goes to talk talk about how much money she makes. There's another instance of a woman, and she was waiting in her car for an appointment because she arrived early. So she's sitting in her car at the curb in her car 
using her laptop, and a woman walks over to her and asks her what she's doing there. She calls the police on her. Mm -hmm. You see stories about people in restaurants walking up to Spanish-speaking folks, criticizing them, saying, speak English. And so clearly something is happening right Right. now. Now, the question I ask is, has this always been happening, but now it's on video because of our phones? Who knows? Right. But there's definitely a sentiment that's changed. So back to your question about the Northwest right. Detention Center. You know, it is it is just something that happened very quietly, but now there's a spotlight on it because people are becoming more aware of the types of immigration policies that we have. And, you know, when I was mayor of Tacoma, I actually sent a letter to Geo Group mm. and I said to them, you know, we have standards here that you have to adhere to, otherwise we can revoke your business license. Mm. And I you know, and I did actually get a letter from the Homeland Security and they replied to me saying that, okay, that's all good and well, but you really don't have the authority to do that. Mm. And so even if, for example, we pulled someone's business license and said, we're going to shut you down, as long as they can show compliance, then they can open right back up. And so I think, you know, you heard a lot of people say, shut it down, shut it down, shut it down. Mm -hmm. But where are these folks going to go instead? And Mm -hmm. so I think the question really becomes is how do we make sure that we have federal immigration policy that is sensible and humane? And, you know, we have to live with the fact that there's this facility in our backyard. Doesn't exactly make us look good, but what are we doing to ensure that the people who are there are treated with respect and dignity and that, you know, and and that they're not being put in danger? Right. And you, I know, you had toured it when you were mayor. Mm -hmm. I think you said at a city council meeting last year that it wasn't what you expected. Right. What did you mean by that? Well, I mean, you know, it's called a detention center. And I don't know if I was expecting to see a dormitory, but, you know, it's it's a prison. I mean, it is what it is. And so, you know, I mean, and I will tell you that I, I have toured two facilities in my lifetime. I did a tour of the Pierce County Jail and I did a tour of the Northwest Detention Center. And I don't like walking around looking at people who are incarcerated. I mean, it it feels so disrespectful. Do you know what I mean? It's like a zoo. Exactly. And I even hate to use that term because these these are humans, not animals, but that's how you feel. And so you're kind of walking around, they're getting toured and you're just kind of looking down, not wanting to make eye contact because there's something very horrible about being in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm sure they gussied it up and made it look as great as possible and hit all the sick people on that day because they knew, you know, yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, I mean, I mean, I don't know what goes on in there. But, you know, clearly when, you know, elected officials say we're going to get a tour, they're not going to show the worst of it. Right. But I think it comes back again to the bigger question about gerrymandering, Congress, comprehensive immigration reform, and trying to make sure that people who are in those facilities don't end up spending such long periods of time there. And I think one thing that I've heard is that the adjudication system and having the number of judges who can process cases quickly, I mean, there's a shortage there. And so how do we make sure that people can get through, you know, can get through the system? And, you know, and the Northwest Immigrant Rights Projects mm-hmm. and a lot of the different types of organizations here that are there to support immigrants, that's a good thing mm-hmm. because those services and organizations often don't exist in other places where there are detention centers. Right. And so I hate to say there's an upside to this because there isn't, but at least if you're going through that here in Tacoma, you have a lot of services and advocates who want to help you get through the system and are there to protect you and to speak up for you. Yeah, and the city council has put some seed money into a, uh, what would you call it, like a a fund for uh, detainees. A legal defense fund. A legal defense fund. Yes, yes. Right. Yes, mm-hmm. actually, I, I, I contributed to it when right. I was mayor. Oh, really? Yep. Okay. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. Great. Um, so... I think that might be all of our serious questions. Okay. Um, we got a couple questions from folks on Twitter okay. who wanted to talk to you. All right. So one of the questions, which I thought was a really good one, who do you feel needs representation on the Tacoma City Council? Who's missing right now? Oh, that's an interesting question. So I know that 2019 is a municipal election year, and 
I hope that we have at least three candidates running in the primary because I just think that you need to have people show up and run for office. I mean, when I ran for re-election, I ran uncontested. And as a candidate, I was relieved and happy. But <laughs> everyone should have an opponent. Everyone should have an opponent who is electable. I mean, just yeah, it's just you have some people who run and there's kind of perennial candidates. Right. But you have people who are who you know are not viable. But you have people – I mean – if you have a record, you have to defend it. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, making it, it makes for it makes for good debates. It makes for good campaigns. When I first ran for office, I was in a four way race. And I think that was good for everyone. It was good for the city. And so as we look at what the council needs. Wow, that's um, that's an interesting conversation. You know, when I was I think when I was first elected, you had a vast majority of people who were either at large or the mayor's office who all, I think, lived in North Tacoma. Mm. And so I think you're seeing that dynamic change a bit. Mm -hmm. And so I'd say geographic diversity is important. But I will tell you this, you know, we live in the Pacific Northwest and we – you know, we have certain prog progressive political leanings. That's just natural. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you know, you have to have different life experiences and points of view. And I'm not saying, oh, I want a tea party on the city council. But I just think that having different points of view makes for better policymaking. And so I'm hoping that as a city, and I think Tacoma does this much better than Seattle does, that we are open to, with we're open to candidates who have different perspectives, different life experiences, and are really trying to look at how we focus on solutions and outcomes as opposed to having purity tests and judging people over things. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, there are some things that you just cannot stand for. But at the same time, I just really believe that diversity of thought and experiences are very, very important in democracy. Yeah. So two of uh, the members who will be terming out, Ryan Mello and Andrew Zibson, mm -hmm. have reliably been very progressive members mm -hmm. of the city council. Right. Do you think uh, they'll be replaced by equally progressive? Do you see Tacoma becoming more progressive? Or um, I think it's hard to say. I mean, it depends on who runs and who mm -hmm. can run a good campaign. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, one thing I will say that, you know, Tacoma is very progressive, but we're also very practical and pragmatic. Right. And so and, and in many cases, because we don't have the luxury of being anything else. And so I think that, you know, even if you look at, you know, look at those two seats, it just really depends on who decides to show up and run. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Uh, next question. What specific plans beyond mass transit do you want to push for as head of the Seattle cha chamber? So it's interesting. Um, I was at a I was at I was speaking somewhere a few months ago and someone stood up and they said, well, you know, as the head of the Seattle chamber, it's like, you know, at what point do you start to support taxes? And I had to kind of press pause for a second and point out that the Seattle Metro Chamber has supported, with exception of the head tax, just about every tax measure in Seattle. So mm -hmm. we recently endorsed the Families and Education Levy. We supported Sound Transit 3. We supported Sound Transit 2. We supported the Move Seattle Levy, which was $930 million to fix their streets and add more bike lanes. So as far as saying, you know, what do we support? I mean, for me, it's like there's just no such thing as too much mass transit. Mm -hmm. And so the more we can build, the faster we can build it. As far as other policies go, I suspect that there's probably a question embedded in there that's not being asked. Uh, and so, you know, I didn't know who this yeah, person yeah, was. Yeah, I, so. I don't either. Yeah. So, so I suspect that there's probably a specific question in that question that that that, that hasn't gotten teased out. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I, I would also say that realistically, if we look at the trajectory of growth that we have in this region, we at some point, we're going to have to say to ourselves, we want this a place to we want this to be a region where you don't have to own a car to participate mm -hmm. in the economy. And I said this at a conference a few days ago, and this is not an anti-car sentiment. It is just realizing that we are now a grown-up metropolitan region, and there are certain expectations that come with that regarding transportation. Mm -hmm. And so if you think about being cost-burdened when it comes to affordability for housing, imagine how much 
more affordable housing is if you don't have to have two cars in your household right. or even one, because you know this, the car payment, the insurance, the upkeep, the gas, all of it, it adds mm-hmm. up. And so are we investing enough in transportation alternatives that will allow people someday to not necessarily have to own a car to live in this region? Right. I think clearly, you know, Seattle is pretty close to that. Yeah. But at some point, how does that spread out to some of the other you know, outlying areas like Tacoma, like Bellevue, like Everett? Well, Pierce County really is, I mean, we don't have robust public transit. And it's something that I think in my new job, mm-hmm. um, we see that a lot of people yes, can't, do. Yeah, can't get to us. They can't get services because they live way out in Spanaway and the buses just don't run often enough. And yeah. so that's going to be important. For well, no, and, and, you know, and I'm glad you brought this up because I think sometimes people miss the connection between transit and employment. Mm-hmm. And when you look at everything from people getting into training programs to attending community college, lack of access to reliable transportation is the number one reason that people do not necessarily, you know, move economically. Mm-hmm. And so access to reliable transportation is important, but I have to just plug one more thing. Pierce Transit twice went out for ballot measures to try to add bus service. And if you look at all the transit agencies around that operate buses, everyone in Washington State except Pierce Transit is at their full authority of nine-tenths of one percent. Pierce Transit is operating at six-tenths of one percent. And credit to them for doing such a good job with what they have. Mm-hmm. But three-tenths of one percent is actually on the table. So they could have more revenue. There were two measures that went out. Tacoma voted yes twice, but overall countywide, it failed. And so I think at some at some point, the question comes, well, maybe Tacoma goes it alone and does something to add more bus service. But we definitely need more public transportation because it's keeping people from participating in the economy. Mm-hmm. And voters need to support it. They do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, another question was from uh, News Tribune reporter Sean Robinson. It's <laughs> okay. a funny one. Yeah. Right. He wonders if Tacoma is dumber without you. <laughs> What kind of question is that? First of all, I am still with Tacoma. So, and there are enough there are enough really brilliant people moving here every day that, you know, it's fine. You're still team Tacoma. I am always team Tacoma. All right. So I wanted to ask you some fun questions. Okay. What are you listening to right now? So on the way over here, so I like to make playlists. And so on the way over here, I was listening to my playlist called Singapore 2018 <laughs> because we went to Singapore last year. Nice. So on that playlist is, yeah, I'm old school here. So I've got Puff Daddy, Mace, Ludacris, TLC, Fabulous. 112. So that's kind of like my old school hip hop ish. Sounds like middle school to me. I love it. You yeah. know, that, that, that is sad that that's old school. <laughs> that, that, is, that, that is pitiful. <laughs> um, what are the best? Sh- I know you and I think have similar taste in uh, binge watching because like, yes. I know you love Game of Thrones mm-hmm. and The Crown. Right. So what are you watching right now? So we just, gosh, so what are we watching right now? So there is a series that we just started watching called The Fall. Mm. And it's with Gillian Anderson from The X Files. And it's this very, creepy series where she plays a detective and they're she's trying to catch a serial killer who strangles women so yeah very uplifting yeah <laughs> but, but it's really good I just good to it's, watch in the yeah, winter in yeah, Tacoma. It's, it's, it's very you know it's very well written it's and it's one of those it's 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 one of those series that just kind of develops slowly where you get to know characters so it doesn't necessarily you know start up it, it takes a while you have, to, you have to stick with it but there was another one that we just watched and I can't think of the name but okay who was Rob Stark in Game of Thrones 
Oh, oh, the brother. Uh, oh my gosh, I don't know the actor's okay, name. Okay, so that actor, and I okay, the name of the series is escaping me. So maybe Doug's someone's gonna look it up while while we're talking here. But <laughs> Doug. no, no, but he pl- it's called the bodyguard. So oh. he plays a bodyguard for the Secretary of State of England. Okay. And anyway, it was really good. And you know, and when you watch the BBC series, they tend to do short ones. So I think it's like four episodes per season or six episodes. Mm-hmm. But that that was that was quite good. So we've been watching that. And then I will just tell folks that um, I'm very disappointed that um, there will not be season three of Luke Cage because I was a huge fan of Luke Cage. Oh, and no, and it's really good because I really, I mean, I, you know, I've always said like, that's really not my genre, but I just love Luke Cage. It is just well-written, well-done, great soundtrack, great storylines, amazing cultural references. And so I, I'm really gonna, I'm really disappointed that Luke Cage is not going to be around for another season. Yeah, that's too bad. Oh, you're also telling us about BTS. BTS. So we we're talking about music. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's really funny. So, you know, there's a phenomenon called K-pop. And it is this very popular manufactured pop music out of South Korea where it's highly choreographed and very slick, high production values. And there's a group I discovered, I'd say about six months ago, Go called BTS and they're out of South Korea. So I just kind of started looking, you know, I downloaded some of their songs, which I like, you know, nice kind of mix of like, you know, hip hop, pop, R&B. They're great dancers. And then I started looking on the internet and they're selling out shows back to back in London, in LA, in New York, and they have these fans called the army. (laughs) And they recently spoke at the United Nations. Oh, wow. And they're very much about empowering young people, self-love, self-acceptance. And they've just really developed this following because they have such messages of positivity. And they were at the big music awards. You saw them performing for the first time. You know, and it's pretty unusual for K-pop bands to really break out of Asia and have a U.S. presence. But because they're global and very popular, they've really been getting attention. And um, they were recently, you know, through through fan polling, they were named like <laughs> Time Magazine's Person of the Year. Oh, wow. and I'm, But, you know, they have an army globally, and so I'm sure they cast a lot of votes. But it's just interesting to watch the phenomenon in this band, and all the members have really interesting stories. Maybe they'll be at the Tacoma Dome someday. You know, we can only hope. <laughs> and okay, so my last two questions I kind of stole from Nate's podcast. Okay. Thanks, Nate. Uh, what is the best place to eat in Tacoma? Oh, wow. So it kind of depends on what you want. And if you ask me that on any given day, I will change my answer. But my husband and I, a few weeks ago, went to Moshi Moshi Ramen House. And we've been meaning to go there. And we finally were able to make it. And I have to tell you, I had a lot of ramen in a lot of different places. It was really good. I had the... Um, I call it side pork, but it's the um, pork belly ramen, mm. and I had a matcha green tea mule. <gasps> Ooh, that intriguing. is the best drink on the planet. Yeah, it was really good. So yeah, so nice. I'd, say, I'd say so. So this week it's moshi moshi, and we'll probably go there tonight. Nice. And then um, yeah, so yeah, I'd, I'd say that's it. But I mean. W- we can eat Asian food every day of the week. <laughs> We're pretty partial to that. And you know, and to be honest with you, that's great because now there are choices in Tacoma because I'd say 20 years ago, that was not the case. Yeah. But yeah, Moshi Moshi is really good. Yeah. I live right by there. I'm glad to hear it's yeah. uh, holding up its reputation. Yes. What is the most overrated place to eat in Tacoma? Oh, my goodness. Okay, let me go through the list of like, who do I know? Who wants this restaurant? <laughs> overrated? <laughs> Nothing is overrated in Tacoma. Every accolade that every Tacoma restaurant gets is well earned. Good answer. Very diplomatic. 
Well, thank you so much for coming on, Marilyn. This was a lot of fun. I really appreciate you taking the time. All right. Thank you for having me, Candice. It's great to be back and Citizen Tacoma. Yay. I also wanted to say for all our listeners out there, if you enjoyed this episode and want to support us, you can get a membership to Channel 253 for $4 a month or $40 a year. Very affordable, and it allows us to keep having awesome interviews like this one. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Citizen Tacoma today. We are part of the Channel 253 network where you can also find these podcasts, Move to Tacoma, Nerd Farmer, Interchangeable White Ladies, We Art Tacoma, Crossing Division, Flounders B-Team, and Taco Man. If you'd like to reach out to us about anything you heard on the show today, or if you'd like to suggest a guest or a topic, please email me at candice.rude at gmail.com. That's Candice with an I, dot rude, R-U-U-D, at gmail.com. The Citizen Tacoma Podcast is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Candice Rude, and I fly Alaska. To book your next flight, go to alaskaair.com. This is Channel 253.